Jonah chapter 4 tonight, and uh, we'll read the whole chapter, again, just for context's sake, and then we'll start in verse number 7 as we make our way through the rest of the book. But Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse number 1, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful." slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, I take, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, and made it to come up over Jonah so that it might shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad for the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, that cannot discern their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. Let's pray. God, we ask tonight as we look to your word again uh, that you would just give us understanding, uh, not just in a historical context of a man named Jonah and a city named Nineveh, but God, that you would give us understanding of the truths that you're seeking to teach us from this short but very impactful book. And God, I pray as we think about Jonah's life and we think about the life of Christ, we could see such drastic differences there. And then, God, as we compare both of those things, I pray that we would look at our own lives and ask, who do we look most like? And God, I pray today that wherever we see the seed of Jonah in us, that we would repent of that thing and we would cling to Christ. God, wherever we see a seed of bitterness growing inside of us, that we would repent of that thing and we would cling to Christ. Wherever we see a seed of of anger within us, God, that we would repent of that thing and we would cling to Christ. And God, I pray that through our time this evening, that as we think about the questions you ask, that we would be careful in how we answer them. God, we thank you that you desire to bring us back on the right track when we do get off course. And I pray this morning that wherever we are off course, that you would get us back on track, that we would have a submissive spirit to your spirit and to your word, and that as we leave this place this evening, we would look more and more like your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Thank you, God, for this time. May you use it for our good and your glory. Be with the kids' classes downstairs. God, I pray that you'd be with each of the teachers and be with each of the hearers, God, that all the hearts down there would be in the right place, ready to give and ready to receive your word as it's given. 
God, be with us. Uh, may, we, may we glean something tonight that would be of uh, an impact in our lives for eternity. Thank you again. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, last time we made it through verse number six, but just to kind of uh, recap, we'll, we'll just kind of go over again briefly what we saw. We saw in these previous verses, especially verse number one, um, that, that Jonah relays to us that he was exceedingly angry. He was displeased with what he saw God doing when he saw the people of Nineveh uh, turn from their, their sinfulness, turn from their, their idols, turn from their waywardness and repent and as we saw last time, this, this came from the top down. It was the king and everybody in between. A, a fast was called. Uh, they were told to put ashes on and sackcloth, even on the animals. And we said this was not a sign of animals repenting, for animals can't repent. But it was a sign of the Ninevites', Ninevites repentance as they recognized that God was the giver of all things. And they wanted to use all things for his glory. And so it's a, it's a pretty neat picture that they actually put into play there as they did that action. Jonah was upset with God, and he accused God of, of doing what Jonah knew he was going to do. And uh, with that angry attitude, he, he said, I knew, God, you were going to do this, and that's why I didn't want to go, almost as if Jonah knew better than God did of what the outcome should have been. It was almost like God was in the dark, and Jonah had enlightenment that, that God didn't have. And we know that's not the case, and we know that Jonah was presumptuous in saying he knew that something was going to happen, uh, because he wasn't all-knowing as God was. But nevertheless, as we see Jonah in chapter 4, we see him as a sulking child, right? He, he went into full uh, pity party mode. He was sad not for the people of Nineveh uh, or, or the, the, the decisions that they were making and the good it would bring into their lives. He was sad for himself. He was, he was displeased with the reality that God was not going to wipe them off the face of the earth. And as we said last time, even though he saw them repent, what did he do? He still went out and he made himself a booth outside the city to see what was going to happen to the city. And this was Jonah's last dying plea for God to destroy this place um, that God was not going to destroy. And so all of the, in all of this, we saw, again, the graciousness of God to Jonah. Um, God, even though Jonah had a, a horrible attitude, God prepared a gourd, which was really a bush to protect Jonah from the pounding sun and the the blowing wind, and Jonah was glad for the gourd, thinking in some ways that he deserved it, that this was a gift that God gave him because of his own self-righteousness, all the while missing out on the idea that he was in a very bad spot, spiritually speaking, in this moment. He was angry with God. He was angry at the situation, accusing God uh, of, of doing, in some ways, wrong, but we know God doesn't do wrong, and that just speaks to the internal um, anguish that Jonah was facing on the inside. But there he sat under his gourd, and that's kind of where we ended last time. I want to give you the, the few takeaways that I said we can pull from this chapter, again, just to refresh our minds. But the first one was this, we should never be bitter against God when he gives others what we think they shouldn't have. And as Jonah sat there, they shouldn't have had this ability to repent, they shouldn't have had even the opportunity to repent, and Jonah was bitter against them, and we, we said this could tie in... Uh, with the workers and the wages parable in Matthew twenty fifteen, is your eye evil because my eye is good? And don't we all like the goodness of God when it shines on us? And truthfully, truthfully, we should like it as well when the goodness of God shines on other people. Um, how foolish would it be to say, after the missionaries were here today, man, the church didn't cut me a check for $6,500. How foolish would that be? 
And yet, isn't it true that if we're not careful, it's easy to get into that place? Very easy. And that's where Jonah found himself. And so as we think through this idea of, of Jonah being bitter because God gave to the Ninevites what Jonah didn't think they deserved, we have to be careful about that in our own lives as well. The next takeaway is that we should keep a right view of ourselves when we come into the presence of God. Again, what did Jonah say? I knew, God, that you were going to do this. And he was almost elevating himself above God, like God was unaware of something that was going to take place. And so we must remember that God is God and we are not. And when we come into his presence, it's a privilege and an honor and we can be real with God, uh, but we should never be foolish when we come to God. And that's what Jonah was being. A third thing that we can take away from this chapter is that God is gracious to us with a gourd, even when we don't deserve it. Um, I wonder tonight if we really gave it thought, what, what is the gourd that God has given us? We know ultimately it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the good gourd that takes away um, the, the, the heat, so to speak. Um, but what other good gourds has God placed in our lives, even when we haven't deserved them because we've gone through life with a bad attitude? Um, another takeaway is when uh, God does remove things from our lives at times to teach us valuable lessons. And we've probably all experienced that in ways that have been painful, um, but in the end, we've recognized them as God's grace. And the final thing this evening is that God has a compassionate heart. And just as he was compassionate towards Jonah, he was compassionate towards the Ninevites, and friend, he has been compassionate towards us. So many ways and so many times. And so Jonah had a lot to learn, and certainly there's many things, many other things that we could pull out of this that are, are broader um, takeaways, but we're going to dive in tonight and, and go through verses 7 through 11 and see what God has for us this evening. So verse 7 again says this, but God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. If you remember just backing up one verse, God prepared a gourd and, and God uh, did this to, to show his graciousness and his kindness towards Jonah, even in Jonah's rebellion. And God allowed this gourd or this bush to overshadow him to protect him from the heat, uh, to give him relief from the grief that was in his heart. And I think that, again, speaks to the very nature of who God is. That even when we are grieving in our sinfulness, not over our sinfulness, but when we're grieving in our sinfulness, God still is gracious to us. He doesn't wipe us off the face of the earth, but he, he subtly and constantly puts things in our lives that are drawing our attention back to him. Where should Jonah's mind have gone when that gourd grew up and gave him shadow from the sun? Man, God is good. But it's not where it went. I, I honestly believe that in some self-righteous way, Jonah was thinking, I deserve this gourd. This is a gourd that I have earned because of what I've done. And even though I don't agree with God, God is still um, seeing how good of a person that I am. And uh, all the while, we know that's not true. And so God caused this gourd to grow, and it was a sign of grace uh, in the life of Jonah. But verse 7, the very next day, God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd and it withered. And I think what we need to understand that is, as gracious as it was for God to give the gourd, it was just as gracious of God to take the gourd away. Somebody tell me how that's true. Bruce. Towards discipline is an act of grace. Sure. Not towards discipline. God's discipline. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Any thoughts on why, uh, Dave? Just uh, the, you know, he could have been living life without the 
what it was that we had. If we took it for granted or we felt entitled to it yeah. or whatever it is, it's when it goes goes away, all of a sudden that thing that God had provided, um, we can understand its true value. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Anybody else? Any thoughts on the graciousness of God and taking the gourd away? Justin? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Ethan. Oh, Annie. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. I like all those thoughts in it. I think it's, it's all pointing to the same reality that God gave Jonah the gourd initially to get Jonah's attention, right? And God knew the heart of Jonah, that it was hardened. And so God then took the gourd away. Why? To get Jonah's attention. And it's, it's all for the same purpose, for Jonah to get his heart and mind back on God, to look to God again, to recognize the godness of God, that, that he is the one who is in control, that he will accomplish his will. And, and he'll use sinful men to do it. And Jonah was a sinful man that God used to bring repentance to the people of Nineveh. And yet now, after that repentance was taking place, God was doing some drastic things in the life of Jonah to bring him back. And we saw already last or two weeks ago, I, I believe it was, that who was it that prepared the storm? It was God. Who was it that prepared the fish? It was God. Who was it that spoke to the fish to spit Jonah out? It was God. Who was it that spoke to Jonah a second time to go to Nineveh. It was God. Who was it that prepared the gourd? It was God. Who was it that destroyed the gourd? It was God. It's almost like he's sovereign. It's almost like he's working in his purpose. While it was to get the Ninevites to repent, I think God's purpose was also individual in that it was to get Jonah to repent, to call Jonah back to this place where he recognized again the godness of God. Um, and I, I didn't mean goodness, I meant godness, the godness of God, that he is God and we are not. Uh, Hosea 6, 1 says, come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten and he will bind us up. Where is it that Jonah needed to flee in this moment? To God, not to the gourd, not to uh, a group of people that he could commiserate with over the situation that he found himself in he needed to run to god and where is it that we need to run we need to run to god and god gives us provisions in our grieving he gives us provisions in our times of suffering and ultimately it's so that we do run to him it's not wrong to take counsel from other people but ultimately we should be running to the lord and so god was gracious to him again in this uh, area as he caused the gourd to grow but then as he took the gourd away to get Jonah's attention. And as we think about this in our own lives, um, I wonder what has God taken away from us at times to get our attention? Anybody have something they want to share? Anybody have ever have control taken out of your hand before? Why does God do that? To get your attention. When you have set everything in order of how it should be and nothing falls into place as you thought it would. Does that mean that God is, is off duty 
and he's not listening to your plan. No, it means that God is very much on duty, and he wants you to get in line with his plan, not your own plan. And I think we have each experienced that in our own lives, um, and as we, as we recognize what God is doing, um, I pray that for each of us, um, it causes us to look to him. It causes us to repent of our waywardness and uh, come back to him as the God uh, who is and was and always will be. Any thoughts on verse number seven? Yes, Rebecca. It is, yeah, you're right, it is very sad. And I, I like the, the point you're drawing from, like, where was Jonah, spiritually speaking, before all this took place, right? How far had he drifted from God? And I, I think it's, again, a reminder um, that God is working in our lives even in our self-sufficiency and in our waywardness. And as much as this is a story of God getting Nineveh to repent, it's also a story of God working in the individual life of a prophet that he desired to repent. And um, it's clear that Jonah's mind was made up as soon as he got the word from the Lord that he wasn't going to go to Nineveh, right? We don't know the full backstory as to where he was and what he was doing. We have a, a few glimpses into his life in the past. But even if he wasn't living in outright rebellion, God could see the, the parts of Jonah's heart that were rebellious. And is there a reason that God called a prophet to go to Nineveh that hated the Ninevites? I think there is, right? And the reason was that God knew that Jonah needed to repent of that sin, that there was a, a wedge in his heart that was, if it, if it wasn't taken out, it was going to cause his relationship with God to be severed, at least for a period of time. And God said, I, I want to I stop that. And so I'm going to call you to do something hard that you don't want to do, and it's to get the Ninevites to repent, but it's also to get you to repent, Jonah. And um, that's the way God works. And we, do we understand all the ins and outs? We certainly don't, but God does. God knows what he's doing, and we can rest in that. Any other thoughts? Bruce? Heidi Littlefield years and years ago brought in uh, this thing that we were supposed to uh, choose a prisoner or pray for him and maybe communicate with him and such. And I sat there in the back row of the church, and I said, want to deal with a rapist and a murderer and my mind just went totally against that and the Lord smote me like he has not smoked before and long story short I ended up in prison ministry in both prisons for nine yeah. months. 
No, yeah. you're not. He has a way of getting our attention. <laughs> yeah. Just completely broken. And yeah. Who are you? you know? yeah. Look in the mirror. Who are you? <laughs> but for the grace of God, right? It's a, for sure. Justin. sure. Anybody else? All right, we'll move on to verse 8. It says, and it came to pass when the sun did arise that Jonah, that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that, that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Um, just think of Jonah. One moment sitting under the gourd thinking, man, I'm so glad that I deserve this gourd, and this gourd is my only friend, right? <laughs> the only thing that I have to be thankful for, the only thing that's bringing me joy right now. And Jonah goes to bed that night under the protection of the gourd, and he wakes up, and as the sun was rising, Jonah hears this nibbling all around him, right? And then he looks at, my gourd is gone. Like, the, the only thing that I had joy in is gone. The only thing that I found pleasure in is gone. And, and this, I think we could spend the rest of the night just on this, but how many times has, has God given us something that's good that we allow to become a God in our own lives? And then God strips that from us. Um, I, I used to struggle with control over finances. You can ask Brianna. We, we didn't have much money, and um, I, I was not pleasant to be around when it came to finances. Um, I stressed about them, I worried about them, I you know, just, just was in a bad place when it came to finances, to the point where, um, and this was before we were even here, so don't worry, but like I, I would contemplate not giving because I was so consumed with my finances, with our finances, that we're not going to have enough to provide. And then through God working as only God does, he made me wake up to this reality that he's in control of my finances. He's the one that will provide for my needs. And I just need to, to trust in him. And when you just trust in God, there's a freeness with your finances that nothing else will bring because you believe that God is the one who has promised to take care of your clothing and your food and, and everything you need. Isn't that what we read about in, in the Sermon on the Mount? Why worry about these things? This is what the Gentiles worry over. Oh, ye of little faith. And when I finally gave up control, and I'm not saying be stupid with your money, right? Go spend it on anything and everything you want. But if you, if you give God what is God's first, God will give you what you need to survive. He may not give you more than what you need, but he will give you what you need to survive. And it took God teaching me that lesson in my life um, and I feel that's what God is doing here with Jonah, that God strips Jonah of the very thing he gave him to get him to wake up to this reality that, Jonah, I'm in control. I, I'm in control of the situation. I gave it, and I can take it away. And we know that God was teaching Jonah a, a great lesson here when it came to the individual souls of the people of Nineveh, 
but I think the lesson could be applied across the board uh, in our lives as well. And so when the sun rose and the wind began to blow and the sun began to beat upon the head of the Jonah that he fainted, Jonah wished himself to die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. And this is a part of the process sometimes of God getting our attention, that we have to come to this point in life where we, where we realize, even in a very harsh way, that we have been living for the wrong things all along. And that's what God was teaching Jonah in this spot. He, he's trying to draw this out of him. He's trying to get him to see how self-centered he was in the way that he was thinking about the Ninevites, but also about the gourd itself. Jonah, you're so focused on you that you're not willing to, to submit yourself to my plan and submit yourselves to my way. And so God was teaching Jonah a great lesson here. And who was in control of the sun rising? God was. Who was in control of the wind blowing? God was. Who was in control of the clouds that could have given Jonah shadow in the absence of the gourd? God was. God was in control of all those things, and he was teaching Jonah a very valuable lesson here when it came to, ultimately, the, the people that had repented in the city of Nineveh. Any thoughts on verse number 8? Any thoughts on Jonah's words that it's better for me to die than to live? We could, before we get there, we could say that Jonah's being dramatic, but I think that would just be writing off how low of a place he was actually in spiritually. I don't think it was just drama. I, I, I honestly think... Jonah was in such a bad place spiritually that he honestly thought it would be better for him to die than to live. I, I don't, well, he was having a pity party. I don't think it was, I, I think it goes deeper than just his, his surface emotions in the moment. I think there was something deeper that God was trying to work out of him, and that, I think that's what we see all through the story. Bruce? I think depression is very real. Yep. Just give yeah. We don't have any counsel to give in those kind of situations. Yeah, for sure. Kelly. Didn't like to face things at all, right? He knew that he had run away from Yeah. No, I like that thought. Somebody else? Rebecca.
Ja. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what Jonah was experiencing, we touched on this last time, you know, his whole life, his people hated the Ninevites. And he was the one that God used to bring repentance into their lives. What, what sort of shame would that have brought to him as a prophet of the people of God? If he had to go back to his home people and say, guess what, guys? God didn't destroy them. Actually, they repented. How does Jonah even answer that? And so I, I do think the, the, the mental state or the spiritual health of Jonah is being played out for us here. And it did bring him to that place where, where he was, as Kelly said, it was this default position, but he was suicidal. He was saying, hey, it's, it's better for me not to even live at this point if this is the way my life is going to go. And unfortunately, the church for a long time has ignored any conversations about this, this idea of emotional, mental health. And what do we see, as Bruce said, it's all through the Bible. You read the Psalms, and what do you see in the life of David? A very unstable man. And were it not for the rock that he stood upon, David probably would have taken his own life because of the things that he faced. I bet you, and I won't ask for a show of hands, but I bet you anything, you would be surprised at the amount of people in this room who have contemplated the very things Jonah has said in this verse. It's better for me to die than to live. And so we play it off, right? Oh, it's no big deal. It's suicide. Oh, they're just, they're just wimps. That's, a, that's actually what I grew up hearing, right? They just need to handle life. And some people can't handle life, right? They, they need to be gently reminded that, that you don't have to handle life. God is there to help you through it. And that's what Jonah needed to be reminded of again here. It, Jonah's saying it's better for me to die than to live. Why? Because he was so self-focused on this moment. And God is saying, Jonah, you need to focus on me again. I'm doing these things not because I enjoy bringing displeasure into your life and pain into your life. I'm doing these things because I, I want to get your heart. I want to get you back. I want you to, to recognize who I am and who you are and how much you need me. And so... As we read that verse, 
Um, we, we could skip over it very quickly, just passing off Jonah's emotions as, as being ultra-dramatic in a situation because he didn't get his way. Could there be some of that? There, there very well could be some of that, but I think it is pointing to a deeper problem that Jonah had in his life. Bruce. Uh, I went to a funeral in Rutland decades ago now. The, the father, mother of this girl were members of our church. She was married to a good Christian man going to a good Christian church, and she committed suicide. Hmm. And that was a side of two play I ever went to. And there are very few things that I've really flipped out over in my life. That was one of them. This woman, after the service, with a, a crowd around her, says, well, she's certainly in hell now hmm. because a Christian can never commit suicide. That just blew me up. Yeah. I, said, I just said, well, what about Elijah? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and just walked away because yeah. I, was, I was just going to flip. You know, it just... <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Those are sad statements to make for sure. Uh, moving on to verse 9. It says, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. As we said last time, when God asks questions, it's important for us to listen to those questions um, because they, they cause us to think. And I want to share the list again questions that God asked. Where are you and who told you you were naked? What is this you have done in Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 through 13? Where is Abel your brother? What have you done in Genesis 4? What have you done in 1 Samuel 13, 11? Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do evil in his sight? 2 Samuel 12, 9. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah 6, 8. Whom do you say that I am? Matthew 16, 15. What do you want me to do for you? Matthew 20, 32. Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Luke twenty-two forty-eight. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Acts 9, 4. And in verse number uh, 9, we see that God asks a question again. And the question is to get Jonah to think. And we know that Jonah answers rashly. He answers very quickly. But I think as Jonah processed this question in the long term, he understood what God was getting at. Has anybody ever been quick to answer, and then you're like, man, I wish I said something different, right? Pop quiz in school, and uh, you just write down the first thing that comes to your mind. It's like, oh, I knew that was wrong. Why did I say that? Or your kids ask you something, or your spouse asks you something, or somebody, a friend or a church member asks you something, and you're just quick to give them your answer. And I think oftentimes we're quick to give answers because we want people to perceive us as confident and, and well-rounded individuals who can give an answer for anything at any time. Sometimes it's, it's okay to say, let me think about it. I, I can't give you an answer right now. And maybe that would have been best for Jonah to say. Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the gourd? Maybe the better answer would have been, God, you know, you know my emotions and you know that I am all mixed up right now. So before I even give you an answer, I, I, just, I just need to think through the question you asked. But Jonah doesn't do that. He says, I do well to be angry even to death. And, and as God speaks, as God asks this question, obviously Jonah's answer is, is not realistic at all. Uh, Jonah's saying he does well to be angry for the gourd, even to the point of him dying. And as I was thinking about the questions that God asks, it reminded me of a man who went through great trials. And towards the end of all his trials, he comes and begins asking him questions in Job 38. 
And, and I want you to hear not the questions, but just, just the beginning portion of 38, verses 1 through 3 says this, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand an answer, uh, demand of thee an answer thou me. And then through the next few chapters, God puts question after question after question before Job. And what were the answers to those questions? Well, Job, Job didn't have one. But what was the answer? You, God. You are God. You alone are God. You are in control. I'm simply a man. I'm nothing. I'm one of your creations. And as, as God asks those questions of Job in Job 38 and 39 and getting into 40, you know, he, he really puts Job in the right position. Job had been through the trial of losing his family, losing his possessions, losing his own health, losing his friends to some degree as they brought foolish and false accusations against him. And, and there Job was, sitting in misery and starting to have somewhat of a, a negative outlook or a bad attitude, and, and God brings it back with a question. And that's what God is doing in Jonah as well. Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And so as we think through the questions that God asks, the questions are always meant to, to get us to understand who God is and who we are. And as I read through Job 38 through 40 this week, you know how I felt after that about this big? Because God is God and I am not. But as I felt this big, you know what I also felt? Loved like I've never felt love before. And if, if Jonah had had the right heart in receiving this question and answering this question, I think he too would have felt the, the love that God had poured on him, not just because of the gourd, not just because he was chosen to be a prophet, but he would have felt the love that God poured on him as, as being a human that God created individually. And I think that's what God's trying to get at here. And yet Jonah's stubbornness, Instead of allowing him to process the question God asked, he strikes back and, in a sense, rebukes God um, with a tone that, that probably we, we should never want to enter into the presence of God with. Any thoughts on verse 9? All right, we'll move on. Verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, Then said the Lord, Thou hast... Pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? So God uses some, some words here that are significant. Um, he, he speaks of cattle, not because cattle were important, but just talking about his creation. There, there are many things that I've created in that city. He talks about Nineveh being a great city. And, and we said a couple of weeks ago that this idea of greatness, when God uses that term, this great city, it's, it's showing the love that he has for this place. Not just its, its size, not just what they're capable of, but it's speaking to it in some way of affection as, as God thinks over this city and these people that he created. He gives us a number of six score thousand people and uh, this would obviously be uh, 120,000 people and he says something significant about them that they didn't know their right hand from their left and that's not saying that all the Ninevites were illiterate people who didn't know their lefts and rights he's speaking of children that in this city there's 
there's 120,000 people that are not even of age to recognize their lefts and their rights. And so uh, most of the, the calculations that I read meant that this would be a city somewhere in, in the area of 600,000 people. And here Jonah is sulking over the fact that they repented, sulking over the fact that God took the gourd away, sitting in his, his, his pity party over what he had to watch instead of rejoicing in what he got to watch. And again, I, I do think this speaks to the spiritual state of Jonah um, because as we said, he set up outside the city hoping what? That it was going to be destroyed. And when you think of 600,000 people being destroyed in a moment, should we ever find joy in something like that? No. And that's where Jonah's heart and mind was in this moment. And so God speaks to Jonah, and, and he really puts Jonah in his place. And it's pretty interesting that this book of this prophet who rebelled against God, the, the last word of the book is what? Cattle. <laughs> that's it. Like, Jonah, I'm going to leave you with these thoughts, and this is where the conversation ends. And I think the conversation picked up later on, and I, I do think that somewhere down the line, Jonah did repent and, and did write his own story down for those of us who would come to understand the depths of the sin in the heart of humanity and the waywardness that it will bring in their lives. And so God speaks, he asks these questions, and that's the last we hear of God, and that's the last we hear of Jonah in this short little book. Any thoughts on verses 10 and 11? Some of the best sermons are based on personal experience. Yes. Yep. <laughs> you know, you've lived through it, and you want somebody else to learn from that. And uh, out of the whole Bible, this is one book that I wish I had one more chapter. Mm. <laughs> you know, I just wish For I had sure. one more chapter. It did not leave him angry and self-pity and, you know, the whole deal. Uh, it's just, mm. and I'm with you. I think it's significant if Jonah did write it that he doesn't give us the rest of the story because who's the focus of the story as it ends? God is and the questions that God asks and the heart that God has for the Ninevites and for Jonah. Uh, any other thoughts? Dave? I, just, uh, I think in these verses, these last couple of verses, he kind of puts together, here's the analogy I've been building for you. <laughs>
those human lives that are there. Um, I just think that, that Jonah got just, should have been smacked in the face by the analogy that, that God built up over this 24-hour object yeah. lesson. Yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, we hope that he was. And I think our greater hope should be that we will be, right? What, what's the gourd that we've made God in our lives? Um, as I shared, mine has been money. And I, I do think there are, there are many things in our lives that be, can become a God that distracts us from the one true God. And God will go to great lengths sometimes to take those things away to get us to recognize the error of the, the path that we're walking on. And I'm not saying that every bad thing that happens in your life was because you made that a God. We can't say that, right? There are sometimes that life just happens. But I, we can also say from Scripture that there are things that God chooses to take away from us because we've allowed them to have too much of our heart. And um, Jonah had too much of his own heart. And God was saying, that's my domain. That's my throne. And I want to be seated where I deserve to be seated again in your life, Jonah. And I'm willing to do this because I love you. And we've said that as parents, right? I must spank you because I love you. Um, if we're honest... Most times we spank out of frustration, let's be real. Um, sounds much better to say, I'm doing it because I love you. Um, but, but where in our lives has God removed something so that we can get our focus back on him? Any other thoughts on verses 10 and 11? Caleb. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that we see that play out a lot in, in broader Christianity when things like terrorist attacks take place, right? How many people have you heard say, maybe we've even said it ourselves, all those people just deserve to die because of what they did? Well, you're not wrong because we, we all deserve to die. But before you say somebody else deserves to die, maybe you should recognize that in your own life as well, that I deserve to die, that I deserve to be separated from God forever. And let's be real, how many innocent, innocent in, the, in the sense of not actively involved in a, a specific thing, how many innocent people have died because of things like war? Many people have. Now, war is going to be a reality till Jesus Christ comes back, right? And he's he's going to have the ultimate say in that. But as believers, I, I think sometimes we're quick to take sides when we should be doing what Caleb says, be grieved over the reality of the place that our world is in, that these types of things are even happening. Um, we should be grieved that people get in such a bad place mentally and spiritually that they, they commit acts of terror and they, they do shoot people. Like, your, your heart has to be in a bad place for that to be 
a reality in your life. And most of all, what do they need? They need Jesus. And so it's not anywhere near that extreme, but like when the church is broken into, what should our prayer be? Those people get saved, right? Should justice still be, still be served? That's why God gave us government. It's not my job to take justice in my hands. It's the government's job to take justice in their hands. Justice should be served, but our prayer should be that while they're serving justice on, their earth, on this earth, they get their hearts right so they, they don't get what's just when they leave this earth and go to the afterlife. So good thoughts. Anybody else? Closing remarks.